Welcome to Exploring Creativity. Our goal is to inspire, educate, and provide a community for creative people all over the world. On this podcast, we explore a variety of topics with a multifaceted group of creative people. We explore these topics in hopes of broadening your perspective and giving you the tools you need to do your very best work. Today I'm speaking with Nathan Dantzler. Nathan is a mastering engineer and studio owner. Together we explore the pros and cons of process, play, and more. It was a great conversation with a great friend and I'm super excited for you to hear it. Hey man. What's up dude? How's it going? How's it going over there? Busy day? Yeah, busy day, man. Yeah, sorry. I have this dumb little light and it's kind of bright making me look shiny. So I'm going to turn it down look less shiny. Yeah. All right. It's funny how when you go bald, for some reason, your head like gets like a gloss to it. <laughs> like, none of my other skin is glossy. Like, this isn't glossy. Why is this shiny? You know? So you need funny. that matte finish. Right. I need... <laughs> That's what we need to sell is like bald man matte spray. It's like a... Like a powdery dark. spray. Right. Put on your head, spray it on there. Well, that's what I wanted to talk to you about today. (laughs) All right, great. (laughs) Let's dig in. Let's brainstorm. What's the topic again? The topic today is about process. Thank you for joining. Yeah. So, um, today we're going to talk about process. Um, I feel like you're the best person for the job, uh, of all the people I know, uh, you're (laughs) probably equal or, or greater than obsessed with uh process and how it can help improve business outcomes and, and business in general so as someone that's been exploring the topic on the conversations podcast just in my career in general even with you um i started taking like a huge google doc of notes and ideas about process i wanted to um wanted to go through some of that and hear your take on it and um take some information from you um, and hopefully include that in whatever this becomes. It might be a presentation or a book or nothing. It might just be something that lingers in my head, but um, I want to just keep riffing on it to understand this thing because it's kind of a weird thing. Like it's not, it's not an actual thing. You can't see it. It's invisible. Uh, I even titled it the invisible product, which is process. Like it's something that a business produces. Mm -hmm. So it's a product, but you can't see it. Uh, you can right. kind of speak about it sometimes and there's sometimes like really vague terms to use or it's not known, um, but you're a part of something. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just a really interesting topic. I thought I would explore. I've always been kind of interested in it. Yeah. And I guess uh, that leads my first question for you, which is like, what, where are you at with process? How do you think about it? Are you interested in it? Uh, did I peg you as the wrong guy for um, the process obsessed human? No, you did not. Um, it's not <laughs> pick the wrong guy. You picked the right guy. Um, yeah, I think for me, it's like in my own career, the first, you know, season of it is learning, um, to be proficient and to be good. And then, mm-hmm. then you start shifting from, you know, that type of work into more of the product and the art or whatever it is that you're creating. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you almost have to kind of shift back a little bit more in the nitty gritty for a little bit to when you start realizing things that are, you know, slowing you down or pain points in mm-hmm. what you're working on. So, um, for me, the process thing is just, it's always, it's like this underlying thing that's just always in the background. And mm-hmm. anytime I, I said this, I think the other day on that, that podcast, but it's like the, um, 
anytime there's a problem, it's just like a little flag that's like, hey, mm-hmm. I, you know, you need to identify a problem here. And so for me, the idea of process is to minimize those as much as possible, you know, and to keep um, kind of like we, you, you know, you and I and all of us did on the last lab note. It's the idea of kind of staying in flow state as much as possible. Um, right. And so that does require investment, you know, to put time investment in building uh, process um, that's more efficient. But in the end, it's worth it because it allows you to not have to shift gears, you know, in your head. Right. Being creative and um, and not even I don't think it's even just in being creative. It's also just about efficiency and about your time, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's something there. Like, I think a lot of times when <clears throat> people think about process, they think about it only as efficiency at scale. Right. Like, so how do we just like mass produce things, which is like. Yeah, it's more like the assembly line conversation of process. Right, right. And I think like that's a form of it. And it's definitely um, makes things more efficient. But how do you see process kind of merging with artfulness? Like where do those things intersect and how are you kind of creating that bridge? Yeah. So, I mean, one thing um, that I was thinking about, again, going back to that podcast or whatever, was um, I was thinking about back in the day when I was a studio intern, um, you'd have the artists come in that are like diva artists and they want to have their room a specific white curtains with you know all the very specific things and at the time i thought it was crazy and i actually laid in bed last night after you and i were texting thinking about that Mm -hmm. and how uh maybe that's part of their process their creative process Mm -hmm. with the world of everything that's changing touring and being on the road and all of that that there's kind of a safe space um so i think that having process also helps you sort of have a safe space and Mm -hmm. um, some of that can even just be routine you know um so um uh, you know, for me, there's usually I start mastering at 10 o'clock in the morning, but got for the day before then. And so I kind of know, and Hallie knows, and when we work on stuff that like, this is when that happens. And so by removing the uncertainty and chaos of all those other parts of my life, it allows me to kind of go full chaotic mode on what we're working on and mm. exper- experiment and kind of push the boundaries more, maybe, you know? Right. Yeah. I love that. This idea that like process creates free space for really anything, like you're saying, it is the chaos that lives in that free space. Mm-hmm. Or you could put in more process if you want and have a crazy <laughs> through life. But like, you yeah. know, what we were talking about, how do you weave, you know, a really strict process with a creative process? Yeah, it's right. like it gives you that freedom, that sort of sense of security or safety right. that I think people need to get their nervous system in a place to to then create and explore. Right. Well, I think that, you know, we we all have a certain capability for a certain amount of chaos, um, in our life. And, um, we might as well all that energy into good things and the things that are monotonous and mundane, you know? So one thing that's funny for me though, is like, I'm not a planning type person, you know, um, despite what I do, I am for work because it's, you know, it's what I need to do. But, um, if it wasn't, for my career and doing what I'm doing, I wouldn't even have a calendar at all. You know what I mean? Like Mm. it would just be winging it. Like I'm more of a wing it type person. So it's been a discipline that I've had to work on, uh, natural instincts, but yeah, it freed up more space, um, you know, and use, use my chaos units up or energy up in the things that are worthwhile, you know? Right. Um, yeah. And you know, I found over the years, I think that's interesting. You're, you're talking about like people's tolerance of chaos and, in structure and then winging it like outside of your professional life. And so like, would you say that like, 
Can you recall kind of where that turning point was where you realized like, um, okay, cool. Yeah. I see Rory's comment there. Got it. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I was wondering, was there like a moment or a series of moments or a series of people even that kind of triggered this need for process or appreciation of process or, um, recognition that that was a thing that, that you could have some control over. Yeah. I mean, I think there's been glimpses of it over the years. Um, part of it does go back to what you're talking about, um, which is just the ability to scale, you know? So as you, um, for me, man, once I started getting super busy, it was basically like having panic attacks, trying to keep up with everything. And it's just too much to keep up with, you know? And so you start having to, um, it starts in little baby steps of having to kind of keep up with those things. But then as you kind of build some of those, those process, um, mechanisms, then you start realizing all the other benefits and side effects that could come from that, you know? Um, and again, the idea of freeing up more of your brain to mm. explore, um, you know, it's like, you've got more, more brain space to go explore things, you know, which is, right. um, then you can bring it back in. But, um, my brother too, man, he is king of process. Like, mm. um, all the employees that work for him, I'm sure are probably driven crazy because he, um, uh, he's constantly changing stuff. You know what I mean? He's always like identifying something. And as soon as everybody's comfortable, he's like, all right, it's time to push harder and go in again, you know? Um, and it's pretty inspiring though, when you see, um, what all can kind of be accomplished when you kind of have that mindset, um, that, that it's almost like, and that's the thing for me too, though, is like, we're building process in order to better. It's like your thing you've been talking about of, um, uh, opportunity meets what's your, uh, preparedness, uh, uh, meets opportunity. Luck is preparedness. Yeah. Right. Um, but so the, this kind of speaks to that preparedness part of it. Right. So, um, if we have say, you know, a little bit of a slower season or a slower day or something, and we work on these little things, um, like last Saturday, we all got together, um, me and Alex and Hallie, and we mm. just spent a whole day just going through a bunch of stuff and making notes and whatever. Mm. And so we were, we don't usually work on Saturdays, So we were able to take the day and go through some of that. Um, but then already this week, it's like, it's make, it makes it even better so that now when we had, um, a couple killer records come in and some stuff that like, we're able to do those better and better focus on the art and on the music. Um, because it's almost like uh, all those little things can kind of be splinters or little speed bumps in, in the creative process. And so we want to, you know, minimize all those, of course, you know, right. so. Um, I was going to ask about, um, this weekend cause I saw you working and I said, yeah. very bad, no working on the weekends, everyone. But, um, yeah, I was curious well, what you guys were up to. Um, yeah, and I mean, also, so, we figured we'd do one of those every few weekends or, you know, yeah. every, every so often. Cause we, we just don't have the bandwidth to do it during the week, you know? Right. For sure. Um, I'm wondering, one of my questions was when do you kind of take the time to reassess and refactor the process? Obviously in the moment, it's kind of hard to do sometimes, but other times it, it isn't as hard to do. Uh, so when do right. you decide like those kind of turning points? I think, it, I think it depends on if it's a mild inconvenience or a major one. Um, mm. if there's a major one, um, I'm, I sent you all those Japanese concepts, uh, mm. that Toyota uses, and I can't remember which one it was, if it was Kanban or I can't remember which one it was, but one of them, um, talks about as soon as you identify a problem, stop everything and mm. address it, yeah. you know? Mm. Um, and so there are times where that happens. If there's something, you know, with delivering a, a master that's, um, there's some issue with something that could affect production. Um, then, then we might stop everything to identify, but if it's a mild inconvenience, then we just put it on the list. And then next time we have bandwidth, we take care of it. You know, mm -hmm. so do you have an actual list of, of 
ways to improve process or is it a to-do list? I'm working on that. Yeah. Well, I mean, we have a list of things that we want to improve. Um, Mm -hmm. but, um, again, kind of you're at the kind of the infancy part of my exploration of those, um, ideas and concepts that Toyota uses, um, about like the Mm -hmm. five questions and going back and, um, and doing that. Um, but I mean, I will say that, you know, one of the ones I've implemented just over the last few years, a lot, is when it comes to um, tweaks. So if an artist or a producer, someone has tweaks on something, um, I have found that a lot of times people won't necessarily tell you what they want to hear. Sometimes they try to tell you the process of how to get there. So they, mm-hmm. they think it's easier. So like, if I were to tell you, mm-hmm. we're working on a design thing, and I'm like, Hey man, it, maybe I should say this feels too cold or this mm-hmm. feels too whatever to me. Uh, but instead, if I say, Hey man, what would happen if you try doing this and this and this and this now I'm giving you directions, but I haven't told you what the end goal is. And I think that, um, if you, you as a designer need to not worry about my directions as much because you're the expert designer, you need to get to the core of like the feeling that I'm having, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? To understand, and then you can navigate the best way to get to the, to the ideal outcome or the outcome that I'm looking for. So I've been trying to find that a lot with masters, um, and projects that we're working on. So if someone says, Hey, we want it to be, um, you know, a lot brighter or whatever it is. Um, it's like, you can ask like, well, do they actually want it brighter or are they miss? Is it something else? You know? And so sometimes you can, by identifying what it is that they want to hear different, um, or or the feeling they want to have or whatever that, whatever Mm -hmm. the end, whatever the end is first, identify that, then we can figure out the path on how to get there, you know? Right, which uh, speaks to kind of the intention of process in, in, to begin with, which is like um, assuring some or, or bringing more certainty towards an outcome. Um, and so you're right. saying, you know, the outcome they want might be emotional more than uh, technical. It most right. likely is. Uh, right. So kind of going to that first saying, well, that's the outcome that they're looking for. How do we kind of start there? Right. And work our way backwards. Right. Which is kind of counterintuitive, though, because a lot of times, like, you know, you want to get in and you want to get it done and make them happy. But sometimes you kind of just got to pause for a minute and figure out um, right. first, first, what is it that we're wanting to, to do, you know? Um, right. What is that outcome? Figure, yeah. What is the outcome? And then we'll figure out how to do it, you know? Right. And I, I think that's a new thing that I'm realizing this idea, like the difference between in this moment, I'm realizing the emotional outcome versus the practical outcome, mm-hmm. or technical mm-hmm. outcome, those being kind right. of split. Um, right. technically the outcome needs to be that it sounds good on Spotify and title, et cetera, that you're happy with it. Um, or rather that's more of an emotional one. Um, but you know, technically let's just say those, and then the emotional is that you're happy with it. The community is happy with it. Listeners are happy. The artist right. really next with that emotion or whatever it may be. Um, right. yeah, sort of. Split. Well, and I mean, uh, one of the things that we face all the time, man, um, is and I would say this is especially true in country music is, um, and this is maybe less to do with process, I guess, and more just to do it mastering and music, but, um, expectations of why people want what they want, you know? Mm. And so a lot of times people can recognize that, you know, maybe a record that's got more dynamics with a, you know, bigger low end and less harsh top end or whatever it is, um, might sound better, but they're letting their fear of competing against all these other hits that sound bright and Mm. loud and whatever dictate what they're doing to their own song and so um i'm kind of trying to develop a almost like a process of how to communicate with those clients to to make sure that they're getting what what they actually want and they're not making fear-based decisions you know right because i think that 
when people make fear-based decisions, they're no longer serving in, in our world and music. They're no longer serving the song um, or, or even the listener who it's being created for. So for instance, um, like if you're, if you've got a song that's going to radio and, uh, people are trying to filter it, like they're trying to make their decisions, their sonic decisions based on the gatekeepers that it needs to go through. Um, then they're not really serving the actual listener in the end, you know? And so like, for instance, again, in country radio, a lot of times people are going for this um, kind of maybe outdated model a little bit on the way things should sound. And they don't realize that like, dude, if you have a, let's say it's a number one female pop country thing, then it's going to be on a playlist next to Billie Eilish or something else, you know, right. At the end of the day, if it's, that's, that's what you should be serving. That's where the listener is going to hear it. And that's how people discover it. We're still kind of basing a lot of that on um, older models of, you know, loud and bright and aggressive, even if it's like a super chill, like heartfelt, warm song. <laughs> you know? Definitely. I think this is, this kind of connects the emotional technical outcomes with fear and process. I drew this little map, like the doubt in the process leads to fear-based decision-making. The fear-based decision-making leads to opting for the technical outcome over the emotional outcome. Right. Like technical meaning like it should technically sound like this, you know, right. like what is the more certain hand well, that you can get? Yeah. I mean, I think that th you're circling it. I don't know if that's it exactly. It's almost the same way though, that when you hear in the pop world, you hear a pop artist that's making a record that sounds like another record or another artist already, you know, yeah. where it's like, they're, they're not doing what's special about that artist. They're doing what's right. special about someone else, you know, that's so. yeah, that. I guess there's two different things. So yeah, that part in terms of why maybe people decide on technical outcomes over emotional is what I was mapping. But I think what you're talking about is early in the process. Like where does it originate? Like what is the first? Yeah, or it could be late. Sometimes it's the last guy, it's the gatekeeper, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's not always early, but yeah. Right, right. Um, well, yeah, that's so it's interesting because there's like throughout the creative process, you have this divergent convergent model of like, this exploration, which I've been on with, with, um, Dylan's logo design and visual identity this week, sort of this like divergent thing where there isn't in that moment, it's just information gathering. You're kind of right. pouring in information from all sources, ideas from all sources, merging things and playing and experimenting. Um, and then it gets to this convergent part where like decisions have to be made. And I think there is where like when fear gets entered into it, either you start to converge way faster than you need to, or you kind of opt for these more certain things. And so I feel like in what I'm seeing and hearing in a lot of the pop music, um, the creative process is there's very little divergence and it's immediate convergence. Like we just need to get this up and out and on right, platforms. Right. And so there isn't that time to even uh, right. encode new things that they discover because there isn't time to really discover well yeah so one of the things though that i've i've talked to you about is one of the people we work with a lot um has kind of an interesting way of, of handling that problem um because i think that some of that even has to do with just the writing and the production itself you know um you've got to get to the hook in a certain amount of time and you've got to do all those right. things but um this one camp of people we work with will do this thing where they write you know a big pop record um that's successful and commercial and all those things but then instead of trying to chase after that to do another hit or another thing like that then they go super left field and go make really artsy stuff that's like totally not commercial in any way 
But what's cool about that is that then they can't help but bring some pop sensibilities into their art that's art for the sake of art, you know? Right. But once they're doing art for the sake of art, they're kind of exploring the chaos, the, the you know, they're, they're out exploring the world. And sometimes they'll find little nuggets of ideas that then they bring back with them to commercial pop world. And it right. makes their commercial pop music more fresh. Uh, and it makes their artsy stuff more digestible. And so um, I really admire that about this camp of guys is that every time they have a, a hit or a success, they don't try to follow it up with another one. They know that now it's time to retreat and go be creative people, you know? Right. Um, and watching how those two things go back and forth is, it's dope, you know, it's dope. Yeah, it's almost like having this like sub process outside of like your main creative process which is right. like all right i'm working for artists like we're doing some exploration we're converging or releasing records but how right. do you feel that well like literally at the start like what is that the of this diamond shape that i'm making of diverge mm -hmm. converse what's here you know like what right. is that inspiration that's filling um right. your mind to then explore a little bit more vastly uh when when it, you might have a week to do something or, or a day um, and a lot of constraints, like how do you, you, you know, if you're not feeling that well, there isn't a lot um, of, of area to diverge, I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah well, so if, if we're talking back about the fear thing for a minute, right? Like sometimes we don't make um, bold decisions because fear gets in the way. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, sometimes we also don't want to be bold just for the sake of bold. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. then it might not necessarily be serving the project that we're working on, whatever that may be. And so the thing I like about this concept of kind of, um, doing art for the sake of art and then, you know, mm. doing, understanding what it is that you're doing is that you can kind of flush some of those ideas out in a free space. And it's mm. almost like that's the fear free zone. Mm -hmm. And then it's probably okay to have a little bit of fear if you're working in a, a more commercial space. Um, because you do need to make a, you know, you do need to factor in some of these other elements other than just, it's like the, the jazz major guy, you know, that like makes like a super like nerdy math rock album. Like it's cool. <laughs> yeah. But it's not, it's not going to be a hit. You know what I mean? Um, right. And so, but if you create a space where like you have a space to go do that and then you can come back and, you know, factor in some of these other elements, you know? So, yeah, yeah. definitely. And I, I even, so I'm working on a commercial project now making this visual identity for Dylan. And I actually have, I'm starting with like icon discovery and development. And so I have in sketch, like a huge artboard, like a huge area to work in that's surrounded by like other very, you know, titles and it's a whole presentation. It's, I can actually just show it. It's easy. Oh, nice. There we go. So like I have all of these slides, which are all presentation bits, like how I'm going to present the actual work. The big one right here is literally called icon playground. <laughs> and I needed that because I think naming is super important, especially like how you're priming your brain mm -hmm. about it. You can't name it final product. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like the final logo. Like it's funny because I have final another logo approved. Yeah, a fifth dollar with dash one. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So in there, like, there's everything from like I'll I'll just show it because it's kind of fun and this stuff yeah. probably won't be used. Um, well, it's like your own logo Pinterest a little bit too, right? Like this is like, it's insanity. I mean, like right. there's literally no cohesion here. I mean, look at that. Right. Look at that. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It's like, I don't, I don't care. This is kind of phallic. Like, I don't know. I just made it. <laughs> like played around with punctuation. I got sketches in here. Like it's a mess. It's a complete mess. Yeah. And I don't see it as a mess. I see it as like 
serving it exactly the way it needs to be served, which is I'm diverging. I need a free space to just explore. And if I label it as such and say, hey, this is a free space, then my head is not like, right. all right, this needs to be like. Well, you're like unbound yourself. You unbound yeah. your own brain from like restrictions. So. Right, exactly. Um, sort of like that phallic logo. There's two. Right, right. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, so like, but then there's other artboards in there that are like more permanent decisions. Right. And it's so funny because as soon as I put something in there, I'm like, fuck, like. I feel like I can't move it. Like, it's weird. Like, it's this weird <laughs> thing in my head where it right. feels like less movable. And it, right. partially that's intentional, right? It's like, let's lock some things down. Let's have some centers of gravity as I'm progressing. But um, it is interesting just the naming of it. Like, right. strictly naming something Icon Playground versus, um, let's say, uh, typography in practice. Like, okay, right. you're not, that's, that's there. It's, it's fixed. Right. Yeah. yeah that's, um, that's amazing, dude. Well, dude, I mean, dude, even just, you know, when we went through workshop stuff a, a year ago, you've, you've, I think you're pretty good though at already kind of living the duality of like knowing how to explore and then recognize something and then not feel precious about all the other things, even though they might be special and there might mm-hmm. be something that's great. Um, you're really good. And I see the same attribute in good songwriters where like someone will have a killer melody or line or idea and you're totally okay with letting it die because it's not the one for this. Um, and you see, right. sometimes I think with creative people, it's easy to get precious with everything that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and e- even if it's not serving what you're actually doing. And so I think that as soon as you kind of know what your end goal is, then that makes it almost easier to do that, you know? And the other thing that's interesting though, is that it's almost like if you listen to an early um hallie and i today for a minute jammed uh an early album from someone that we were working with this week and it's cool but it's kind of messy it's not all over it doesn't hit the nail on the head like he does Mm -hmm. now on his on his music you know Mm -hmm. and uh i think him spending years of exploring and doing all that is what now allows him to more decisively make decisions that are great you know what i mean so i think that um it's important to have that space um and and you see this too though when you see maybe younger producers and writers um when they're immediately precious to every idea they they think that whatever sound comes out the first one has to be great you know they're not giving themselves the freedom to to just go explore for a little bit you know so yeah that that divergence um so i mean here's my messy notes right now but these three models right here so this one right here is sort of this balance divergence convergence this is too imbalanced this is like you're hyper divergent coming up with all these ideas and right you're converging very quickly and, and so you there's a sacrifice there like you have right. so much meat now and right the opposite where like pop songwriting is it's just like all right let's do something quickly and get it out right uh, and process it um, right and so what you were saying about the balance that i have of divergence and convergence is sort of what i i try to seek because and it's really hard. It's actually really right. difficult to do because that diamond exists in time. So like at right. some point you run out of time. And so like, right. you're kind of having to go back to like, what's the outcome? What's the outcome? Maybe you'd find a new outcome, but like that's over here and you need to converge to all those outcomes, but you still want to have time to explore. And I think what you're talking about is that model of diverge really quickly and then get it done right. and, and, and the harm in that. I think there's right. benefit to that too. Well, well that's what I was going to say though. So what, what happens, um, you know, we all know that sometimes there's the, the songwriter that 
they sit down and they write a song in five minutes. That's just gold. It's unbelievable. Um, and in that situation, if they were to further explore it, they might get turned around, you know, they might kind of get upside down in themselves. Um, so how, how do you balance, um, all of those ideas? Um, if in that situation, like, I feel like you have to take all of that, but then account for, um, when magic happens, being able to recognize it and then kind of ignore everything we just said before that. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. You know, it will ultimately fall into one of those models metaphorically, but I think you're right. Right. If, if the divergence is really quick and maybe again, maybe that's fueled by years of practice. I just wrote down the note. How many times have you run your practice? Like how many times have you worked on a new song? It's, you know, people that usually have those hits, they've written like thousands of songs before right. that and then right. it's like cool quick so they know that if they have a spark and they can realize it pretty quickly right, right. like they don't want to lose that right um, and i think that's true in the creative process too like i could keep diverging on icons but i feel like there are some that have already popped out that are like these are hits like right. i can make 10 more hits and then i have right. 30 now that i need to go through and pare down because i need to show one like the outcome is one it's not 30 so right you know like and then if I have 30 to work with, then I might be in decision making paralysis and it might make it harder to actually get to the outcome. But, but what I'm proposing is what if you, Michael, who has done this for a long time and you're an expert in your field, what would happen if you sat down with a pen and paper and you drew something and you're like, nailed it, right? Yeah. Now, does that free up more brain power to then work on other things? You know, right. like I'm, I'm wondering if like, obviously there's a time and a place to explore all of that and find that balance. But, mm-hmm. um, at the same time, if you unnecessarily go through more of that than mm-hmm. is needed, then mm-hmm. you're almost robbing yourself of other future creative endeavors mm-hmm. where you do need to put all that in. And th- the same thing happens on our end, man. Like if I get a, um, you know, in one day of mastering, it could be that we get a mix from a killer A-list mixer and it needs very little, you know, it doesn't need very much. And then the next one's from bedroom producer guy and we got to dig in hard, you know, and, part of part of what makes us professionals is like knowing when to apply pressure and mm. when to kind of just get out of the way, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but, but I think even for yourself though, if someone's, you know, say hiring you to work on um, their branding and on, you know, design, um, like wondering, like, how do you know when to get out of your own way? How do you know when like, boom, got it, you know, quickly. Yeah. I got it. Definitely. I think a lot of times it's, uh, something that I remember hearing Steve jobs doing at Apple, uh, one of the many things I'm sure that made him a special individual, but this idea of getting to the beginner's mindset. So how often are you snapping out of you in the process and you observing the person in the process to say like, did the guy in the process do the thing? Like, did he accomplish the goal? Is it, does it hit all the marks that, you know, you have for yourself, whatever that may be like product quality, um, you know, the client would be happy. Audience would understand it. Like, did it hit all those marks? I think when you're so in it and you're saying, well, I need to diverge and converge and I have an, another two weeks to finish this project. Let me just keep going. Mm-hmm. That's the part where it get, goes wrong because now you're like, so in it, even though you might've had the hit back there, you haven't stepped out. And so for me, right. like I, um, in the creative diamond, I need to zoom in and out constantly where it's like, is it good? Like sometimes like with the work for you guys, like I'll do a sketch and that's it. And I'm like, yo, that's it. Like I I don't need to explore it because it it says and does the thing. Right. No, totally. Totally. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I would say too, though, that like, um, 
I think this happened in artists. There was this one song I worked on a few years ago and I remember they sent me the work tape of it and like, dude, it's one of the, you know, five songs a year that just moves me. Like I heard it and it was just like mind blown. And then they go and they produce it like five different ways and they keep revisiting it. And then the final version that came out doesn't move me at all. I feel nothing, you know? Right. And it's like they, they almost, they like beat a dead horse. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, man, just kind of, re- and we see that all the time too with, with, and again, I'm, <laughs> you're obviously talking about design and I'm talking about music, but, um, how many times, man, is the scratch vocal, the, the vocal, it's the one, there's a magic thing about it. No matter how much someone tries to go back and relive that moment, um, you can't ever emotionally, it's just like, you can't go back in time. You can't go back in time creatively either. Sometimes, you know, where, yeah. um, that's where one thing I will say about process though, is, uh, I encourage people, man, if you're on a roll and you're, you know, you're in the flow, don't, don't doubt yourself and then say, I'm going to go back and revisit this later with, with something. It's like, no, man, act like it's now, this is the end. This is it. You know? Yes. Um, yeah. because it's, it's harder to recreate that magic. And I mean, the same thing even applies on a master, man. I did this album, uh, yesterday. Uh, I think it, yeah, for the last couple of days we've been getting the files and pieces, but, um, I felt really good about it and I closed it out and then it's like, cool, we're going to go drive around. We got to go get lunch or whatever. Um, and then I like went and tweaked a few things and then I realized like, now nah, I need to put it back, you know, the guy right. put it back to where it was. Um, there was something magical that happened even, even in the nerdiest part of mastering where it, it flowed together based on first instincts best, you know? Um, but, but so one of the things maybe more talking about process and kind of what we do, um, it's one of the reasons I don't like using outboard gear, man. Um, Mm -hmm. because I feel like it takes me out of the flow state. It takes too much time. Mm -hmm. Um, so if I, if we get, you know, if we use say outboard gear, a lot of times we'll print some options and then master from that in the box so that we can still get the color or do the thing we yeah. want to get. Um, but for me, like I want to be able to, if I'm working on an album and it's got, you know, 10 songs, eight different producers and six different mixers. Um, it's hard for me to like work on one song and get it sounding the way I, you know, maybe that it feels like it's best. And then later you get another song in from the next mixer and he's like totally different sonically than the other guy. Well, then I have to stop being creative. I have to stop thinking about the music, recall the gear to where it was try this, print it down before I can go to the next song. And it's like, man, all that stuff is just a giant speed bump, you know? And for me, it it feels like it takes me out of the whole job that I'm here to do, which is have perspective and figure out how to, how to cohesively glue all these things as one project, you know, especially on an album, you know, uh, more than like a single, but, um, that, that's, what's funny though, is that there's, there's pushback because obviously a lot of people are like, well, you have to use outboard gear if you're a real mastering guy. Yeah. And so there's a little bit of fear there where like for years, man, I had a bunch of gear that I've never used at all in racks and people like seeing it, you know? And so it was a pretty bold, it felt for me like bold and scary to kind of step on a, out on a limb a couple of years ago and be like, all right, selling, selling the gear or putting it in the closet, you know, and, uh, we're going to strip it all down. And, and the thing that's funny though, that I realized in that is that the only clients, first off, the clients that I love working with don't care at all. They don't care. Yeah. Like as long as you're delivering it and it's dope, we're, we're cool, you know? Mm-hmm. And the only clients that were concerned about what gear I'm using were the clients that I don't like working with anyway. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? right. So it's like, they're the ones that are like, they, they're the clients that when they call, they start talking about it, gear, but not art, not the song, not, the, right. not the project, you know? And it mm-hmm. seems like the, the projects that I love are the ones where people are talking about the music and the people, um, and the projects that I don't like are the ones where they're talking about what 
console mm-hmm. they recorded it on and what, you know, whatever. So, so that that's the hack. If you want good clients, just sell all your gear. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, yeah. <laughs> it's almost like if you use gear, keep it a secret, you know, and then, and then There's, people are hiring you for, for what you do, you know? Right. I love that, that they're hiring you for perspective. Right. Um, and in a way, like that perspective is perspective on their process, on your process, on the two of you. Again, that whole stepping outside thing, that beginner's mindset thing where the, you have the ability of, of hearing this like a beginner, seeing this like a beginner, um, not working like you're a beginner, but, but um, viewing the work like you're a beginner. Right. Um, well, it's like the, the, the whole childlike wonder thing. You know what I mean? Like that's, mm-hmm. um, th- there is... I was thinking a lot about this recently too, with like some of the greatest artists, whether it be a Michael Jackson or some of those like people like that. And like wondering the, our culture sees someone like Michael Jackson with his like, you know, very childlike mind and yeah. but then judging him by adult standards, you know, of how we do things. And I'm not saying anything good or bad about Michael Jackson. I'm just saying that, um, creatively though, it's interesting that maybe someone could be very immature in, um, the way that they, you know, handle the adult world, but maybe very childlike. And that's a good thing in their art, you know? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, that playground, I mean, that's why I named that art word playground because I've been thinking about the word play and playground a lot recently, uh, having hung out with Rory's two kids who are, uh, I think eight and nine. Um, and they're playing all the time. Like uh, I ended up having to sleep over there because my car wouldn't start a few weeks ago. And I woke up to them playing finding invisible pokemon um (laughs) under the couch Uh of course exactly where i was sleeping so they had to wake me up uh, but but like it was amazing like there was so much freedom in that moment of like and i think about how do i you know i had that once you had that once and then even with design i remember using paints to make my first logo like ms paints right and I wasn't thinking like, oh, well, like, what are the layers and blah, blah, blah. Like, I didn't right. even know those things existed. I didn't know right. all the freedoms existed. So I was just working with what I had and, and whatever I wanted to see was what was there. Right. Um, and I think you personally have lost some of that over the way um, because you learn so much about the technical. And I think what you were saying earlier, like going from like, like getting to a point where you're actually good and then like productizing that and, and merging the product and art. And then getting back to the details. Um, and then I think there's another form, which is finding that play again and finding that. Um, yeah. So that's what I was going to say, though. Yeah. I mean, I think I think that you see that um, in in any of our fields, right? Where like you, your desire to do it is you're initially attracted because of the play, because of the joy that you get from it, because mm-hmm. because of all of that. And so then you start learning, you know, the the technical stuff and the details. And that's important. And you go in heavy on that. And maybe the play side of it kind of gets pushed aside for a little bit, you know, and then that's maybe more reaffirmed by working on commercial projects where there's not much emphasis on play. Mm. Um, and, and you have all those things. And then, but I think that when people really get great is when they get past all of those things and then they figure out how do you play again? How do you, how do you bring it back to that joyful, innocent, childlike exploration of art and the things that you love? Because what's fun is that like, you've already learned all the things, the technical process, and you know what works commercially and you know you know all those things and now that's all built in. So now right. you don't have to even consciously think about any of that anymore. So now when you play, you're not even having to like doubt it in your head. You're automatically, there's some like subconscious filtering that's happening in what you're doing, right. um, which almost like allows you to play like you once did early on, but in a cooler, better, 
more refined way. More refined, yeah. Right. Uh, you know, the other day, um, I remember this time in college where it was interesting. College for me was interesting because I'd already been practicing design for like five years before college. So I, I started with a portfolio and I kind of had some expertise there. One thing I would always do with projects, and I don't know why this was, maybe I was just burnt out because I was working so hard and freelancing at the same time, whatever. But I would always take naps like midway through a project and wake up. And I think the first nap I took, I woke up and had a really great idea. Mm -hmm. for this. We were doing this, like we had to make an annual report for a company. And I was like, it seems like the most businessy, like simple, annoying thing. And I fell asleep. I was doing Disney. Um, I was like, that's easy. That's a good way of like injecting play into this whole thing. Mm -hmm. But it couldn't crack like what the concept was. And then I fell asleep and woke up and like right out of the dream state was like this idea of in the centerfold, when you open it, a, um, a pop-up book of the castle at Disneyland, like, uh, mm -hmm. like from the book. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't know how to make a fucking pop-up, but like, I'm going to figure it out because I <laughs> yeah, just, you'll like, figure you know what I mean? So I just <laughs> went and figured it out and it was so dope. And I think yeah. I actually still have it somewhere. Uh, yeah. If we had an extra like 15 minutes of me rummaging, I would find it. But, um, dude, I, you got to send me a picture of that later. That's amazing. Or do a post. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, that, that play emerged from the dream state and the dream state really was just me not thinking about stuff or overthinking. So yeah, right. like worked on the logos for like two hours, took a nap, uh, or not even nap fully, just laid down and like got into like a calm state, got back up, looked at it, was like, all right, these are definitely not it. These I'm feeling really good about. It kind of like resets the nervous system of like right. your neutral state so you can then feel again. I think right. that's sort of the thing is like just feeling again. Well, one thing that's interesting, because I, you know, I think a lot of us have experienced something similar. Um, one thing that's funny, if we uh, think about that, and combined with fear, for me, one of the things that's funny is there's times where I'll wake up at three in the morning and like, boom, light bulb went off. I've got a idea or a thing, but the fear starts creeping in and it's like, nope, you have a session at 9am. You need to go back to sleep. Mm -hmm. And I go, good idea. Get back in there, get out of here, you know? Right. And so it's like, I almost in that situation, because I don't think that happens frequently enough, at least for me, I'm not like a creative genius, <laughs> you know, but um, in my life, that doesn't happen enough that I think that I need to embrace that, that whenever I have one of those things, I need to be like, all right, not getting sleep tonight. It's fine. You know, it's worth right. it, you know, or, or it's the idea. Worth, worth exploring, you know? Yeah. Like, like I heard Christopher Nolan sleeps with a notebook, like right next to him. And he was saying, right. I didn't hear this. I heard it from him in an interview, like um, Tenet, which just came out, was an idea he had 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um no pun intended, it's the word 10 in tenant, but mm -hmm. all that aside, he had this notebook in his bed and he wrote down like the initial concept and went back to sleep. And then that idea has been sitting there, but it's like those raw ideas are something so powerful. Yeah. So I always hear about people, people keeping a notebook by their bed for things like that. But my first question is, are those people married? Because if you're, if yeah. you're with your spouse, but if you're with your spouse and they're asleep and you turn the light on so that you can write a thing. <laughs> then now you're having to deal with a whole nother disruption that would be much easier if you just got up and left the room. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the idea of like, oh yeah, I'm just going to write this in my notebook. It's like, yeah, but if you have a spouse, you're going to wake them up. <laughs> you need like a little anyway. mini, mini flashlight or something. Yeah, One right. thing about, about Nolan is that he, him and his, uh, no, it's uh, Jonathan Nolan, his his brother works with his wife. So they did uh, Westworld, they, two of them gotcha. together. Um, yeah. Christopher Nolan, I think his wife is the executive producer on his films, pretty sure. Or she, yeah. she's in there. That's really cool. They're they're both doing it. But yeah, yeah. I totally get that. I think right. a flashlight or a small light. Yeah, it's, there's something. It, yeah, 
Yeah. I also have, Room. so I have a notebook in my shower. I don't have one on that. <laughs> so, Amazing. <laughs> another thing I could show you are the stack of notes. Uh-huh. Uh, it's a waterproof notebook. It's a, I got one for Rory for, uh, just because I think, I think, yeah, thank you for something. And, um, the shower thoughts are another one where like your nervous systems reset, you're right. like kind of just clearing your head. And then because of that, as soon as you then like insert idea here mm -hmm. on a nervous system that isn't reacting out of fear, it's right. like, oh yeah, of course. Like this is the answer. Like turn left, you know, it's like, right. oh, right. And in your head before it's like left, right, up, down, all the right. directions, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it is, it is interesting that reset, how that happens. That's almost though where we need like the Elon Neuralink thing. So you can be like, and save, you know, <laughs> yeah. just uh, puts it on the cloud. Yeah. For now it's waterproof notebooks and, uh, yeah. <laughs> Christopher Nolan method of, of ideas. Yeah. Voice memos, uh, voice memos, the other one, but yeah. Oh yeah. Those two for sure. Yeah. And that's one of my process getting back to process, um, for songwriting for me. And I'm not like a prolific songwriter. I have two albums, a third on the way. But the way I, I make music is something that I learned from hearing about Dr. Dre's process on the Chronic 2001, which is one of my favorite records of his. Mm -hmm. I would say it's my favorite record of his. Same. So I heard that he set a schedule of nine to five every day for that, wakes up, does his things, works nine to five. But the whole idea is just like quantity, like how many right. beats can you possibly produce? Right. Uh, and like, you know, saying that the, I, I think I heard there was like 200 or, or something like that beats made for the Chronic 2001. Mm -hmm. And I remember hearing this, I was in a band at the time, like some label executive told us this. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And I've held on to that. And now with my songs, like with my albums, I just record endlessly. I have a voice memo. I just hit record. <laughs> I start playing whatever comes out, save it. Mm -hmm. And now I have all these ideas. And then I go back to that and then groom from that right. big set down to half and then half. Dude, so so one thing that's interesting on that, um, many many years ago when I was a assistant engineer, there was a, a hip hop session we were working on, and they booked out like two studios at this commercial studio, the A room and the B room, and then um, everybody's on MPCs back then. You know, it's not mm -hmm. in the computer, and so everyone's got their little zip drive and their MPC, and they set up um, like in every ISO booth, every live room, every lounge, every hallway, there was somebody else working, and so basically they would start with maybe a beat or an idea or something. Um, and then everyone would just kind of go off and like do their homework and basically create stuff. And then at the mm. end of the day, they would come in like, you know, in the evening and then they would just play through all the ideas and then just ju judge like the good ideas or the bad ideas based on like the emotional response of everyone collectively in the room, you know? There. And so you'd hear a bunch of things always kind of nodding their head. And then as soon as everybody's like, whoa, like freaking out, they're like, that's a keeper, you know? Mm. And like, that's, that was their process of whittling it down was almost, it was like the emotional response of everyone hearing these things and it was pretty cool man because when you heard what they came up with at the end of it it was like it, they were very good at being decisive and and not keeping all the good ideas but only the three good ones you know and yeah uh there was a lot of power in that you know that's that's huge because i think I, i've had this conversation with spider before and rory before about process and i think one of the areas where i've yet to resolve but i think i'm kind of getting closer to that now is around the emotional response, that nervous system response as it relates to process. And I feel like that shouldn't be sacrificed if, if you don't need, to, if it doesn't need to be, if it's, if you're making cars, you shouldn't emotionally be like constructing a car, <laughs> you know, right. like, if you can get the emotion out of the way, it might be more beneficial, but for creative work, keeping that emotion might mean that the 
the divergence convergence diamond is shorter or quicker i like mm. and and you know and i think getting to inserting processes where you can reset as much as possible like how do right. you get to a uh, state of resetting right um, it's sort of the question almost becomes how do you preserve emotional response inside of a process while right. existing inside of a process well i think that in in that example of the the hip-hop guys all setting up a different thing it's like you set aside a time and this is the time uh for your emotional response um but you don't need to worry about it all the rest of the time you know so their process in that situation was like cool go go have your playground all day long but you don't need to worry about what's good or bad you know right and the, the other thing that was cool about that though is they had um me and many of the assistants involved in the project um playing some of that stuff back um without knowing who did what. So it wasn't like, and here's John's idea and here's Michael's idea. You know, it was just like, we're just hearing ideas. No one, right. so it wasn't like pride associated with each of the ideas, you know, um, yeah. kind of gave it a more honest, uh, honest emotional response to the music, you know? I, I love bridging the gap between music and design because when I abstract it to just creative work, then it becomes more applicable to anyone really. And it's funny what you're saying right now, because the logos I sent you a few minutes ago, right. I didn't order them based on my favorites. Right. I completely randomized it because I didn't huh. want the first three to be my favorites. And you're like, and right. naturally, the first thing you see, you're like, oh, I like it. You know, like, right, right. So it was like, let me randomize this for that exact reason. Like, right. You know, kind of keeping that, even for me, the beginner's mindset, like, I shouldn't be seeing right. only my favorite one. Right, right. Yeah. Like the true yeah. test of, yeah. Um, but my question on that was, did, did any of my, did any of my two favorites line up with any of your favorites? I, I hated them all. No, um, <laughs> you well, <designed> so, <laughs> everything I did was that. So the way I kind of did it, I started from like, uh, probably this many, or actually more than that. Right. And I whittled it down to those. So right. all of those right. are like favorites in many ways. Right. Um, but my top, yeah, I'm we kind of reserving, I'm reserving okay. to hear what other people see and yeah, great. Mike's great. <laughs> but I sent it to a bunch of people. Um, I, I do need to look at yours. I actually didn't look at what you sent back yet. Yeah, it's all good. We'll talk um, about that later. Because yeah. I sent it to like 15 people. Um, yeah, but uh, I, I love seeing that too. Is The other part is like all of the ideas that I got rid of. Um, right. Why? You know, what about it? And, and a right. lot of it, like when I was going through them, the first pass, I got to a place where I'm like, Zen state what stands out to me when my eyes just scanning like mm -hmm. if i'm competing literally with myself in this moment right. like which designs stand out to me of the ones i already made and right. so i just started bundling those like anything that like grabbed my attention right and then from well, there so, so I pulled. when you're sharing that with other people you've you've turned it from an internal process into like a collaborative one in a sense even if it's just getting feedback from outside people right and so yeah um I think that one of the beautiful things about process is how if you have good process in place, um, it can enable collaboration to happen better and more effectively. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, within our team today, for instance, Hallie has been, we've been working together and we didn't even have to talk most of the day. You know what I mean? I'm working, I'm doing my thing. And the process is so seamless and all of that, that we don't really have to communicate. Well, okay, this is ready for this. This is ready for that. It's all systematized, right. you know? And so. Yeah. Um, it allows, you know, me to be focused on the song and the feeling and all those things. And then she's making sure that all the details are right. And then it's sent to the right people and all of that. And so I think that, um, if it's just me, I could keep a lot of that in my head, but then I'm robbing myself of being able to be collaborative with people. Right. And if I am being collaborative with people now, it, 
it can become somewhat of like a emotional uh, drain to try to have to explain and talk through mm-hmm. everything. Um, where if you build process in place, then um, a lot of that stuff just becomes automatic once everybody's learned it and on it, you know? Yeah, I, I love that. Good process leads to better collaboration. I think right. oftentimes it looks as though it's the opposite. So right. it's like, this is so strict. Like, why do I have to do that? You have to do that. Right. It's really, for those moments, it's strictly an operational thing. It's like, there's things that need to get done. Let's divide well, it. Yeah. And anything creative, right, right. though, that especially professional creative, where we do it for a living, there are, there's a time to be creative and then there's time to save files and to do right. the logistics and whatever. And so, <laughs> Um, don't waste, I mean, take the time, invest it in building a process to make all of that as automatic as possible. So, you know, we obviously, we don't want to system, we don't want to make a process too much and rob ourselves of creativity when it comes to creative things, but there's so much around all creative things. Um, if you're a painter, someone's got to go buy the paint and clean the easel, you know, and do all those things. So like make all that be a process so that you can use all your energy up on actually being creative, you know? I love that. There's a time to be creative and there's a time to save files. That's, right. <laughs> that, that's a bar right there. Um, well, this was great. I th- I'd like to end on that high note. Um, I yeah, think in about an hour. Um, yeah. I really appreciate you taking the time. Of course. Um, yeah, dude, thank you. And I'll be dude. in touch about everything that we do together. And yeah, thanks, awesome, um, <laughs> yeah, dude. Well, awesome. Thank all of you guys for joining us. So yeah, everyone that joined, thank you. If you have other questions or threads that you want to continue, leave a comment. Let me know. Like I said, I'm working on a thing that I don't know what it is yet. It could be a documentary. I have no idea. Coffee table but book. Maybe a coffee table book. Maybe just a bunch of content. I feel like, not- do you have a coffee table book yet? I feel like you need to have one. Um, that's the goal. Yeah. yeah. I have coffee table books, but none of which are mine. Do you have a coffee uh, table? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> mine. <laughs> okay. Hold up. Oh, dope. That's dope. Here she is. Uh, nice. So right now I have bullshit jobs. <laughs> this one was recommended by Noah Snyder. Yeah, this is one of my favorites. But here, here's the the meat of the coffee table book. So this is Virgil Abloh's, um, basically all of his work, thick, and it's super nice. meta. I like the cover is him holding the book. Yeah, uh, amazing. And the other coffee table book, gift from John Costelli. Yeah, I think you passed one of them that was my gift to you too. But yeah, Dude, that, oh, this that guy, John. Yeah, John's is better though. Look at that. That her. Well, I was trying to say the two thick ones. Yeah, yeah, official coffee table books. Yeah, those are real coffee table books. Um, this is an unofficial coffee table book, but nonetheless on my table. Yeah, thank you. This is a, a book of symbols which I love to kind of look at for inspiration. Um, and then this right here is Marcus Aurelius uh, Meditations. Always has some some good wisdom in here. That's amazing. So that's the coffee table and then a uh, video game controller. Amazing. <laughs> but, uh, that That's for the, um, the moments of kind of relaxation, unwinding. So my, I'll say, I know we got to go and it'll probably end yeah. soon, but one of my favorite things about um, you having, when you were here for a couple of weeks or whenever it was, is that um, you eat, breathe and sleep all of this to where like you what and this is why you're in the right job because when your time is your off time it's still doing the thing that you're doing for your job right yeah. so um part of me wants to encourage you to like find some activities that are totally unrelated but the other part of me is like well he's on a roll he's he's uh he's in the zone like let him let him do it you know uh, yeah it is interesting that you know it feels like your your free time 
like seeing the smile on your face right now as you're talking about these these books and these designs, right? Like you're in the right job, you're in the right, right field. <laughs> you know, right. Tara, I was like, yeah. yeah, yeah, I got to design a logo today, you know, or whatever. Instead, like you're amped about it, you know. Yeah, it's super fun. I'm like on the bell with people designing the logo. Like it's just it, it's a good time. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, what's interesting? Like there's the hobbies are like playing music and traveling and going right. to nature. That's like. And right. to me, those are like resets for the larger purpose that I think I'm here for, which is um, communication and information dissemination. You know, like I love the idea of sharing knowledge and making it easier to understand and breaking things down better. And I think design is the visual form of that. Right. And then everything that comes with design content and stuff like that are the uh, written form of that. Right. But like, yeah, when I was with you, it's like, um, I'm taking photos of you in the morning or, you know, whatever, or you talking to Dylan or whatever. And it's capturing those moments are so fun for me. That's like the most exciting part is, right. um, because to me, that is communication. That's, that's like values via photography, you right. know, it's like, who are you? And, and well, it's you different though, too, because I mean, you know, um, in music, you're still sure you can see music and everything. Um, but with, with visual and with design, um, whether you're having coffee at how the, the light hits the mug on the table or whatever the thing, right. With yeah. music, we're not constantly surrounded by interesting sounds. I mean, may maybe we are, and I'm not seeing it, <laughs> you know, but, That's a good point. um, uh, but it, it is interesting just seeing how you view even your off time as, as like through a design lens. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's, it's made you, um, thanks for that observation, by the way, it, it, uh, gives me something to riff on and think about. How yeah. I have no life, but uh, <laughs> no, 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 it's good. I mean, I get it. I think it, that points to like that you're in the right profession, you know? Yeah, that's true. So, yeah. I, you know, I think making things easier for people is something that I think is really important. And like a good design does that. And then, yeah, like you said, everything's visual. I mean, as right. long as you have vision, everything's visual. Right. So, like, there's so much, it's, it's like endless inspiration is everywhere. So, I think knowing when to just like turn it off and appreciate versus when to critique and analyze right. is definitely, uh, I think the, the difference. And I think for me, nature is sort of that moment of, I'm not going to critique and analyze this. Like this is strictly visual for, uh, a replenishing. Right. Scent. Yeah. Yeah. But every other right. time is <laughs> anything man-made is on the table <laughs> yeah. and since man-made usually it will be it's all for critique um, <laughs> but uh thanks so much again yeah, dude. i really awesome, appreciate man. it for chat, man. yeah of course awesome. and uh we'll be in touch soon all right cool see you guys later yeah. bye